I'm Frances Northrop and I'm the uh, manager of Transition Town Totnes. So what does austerity look like in Totnes? Such an interesting question. It's a question we should probably ask ourselves more <laughs> wherever we live. I think a lot of it's hidden. I think um, austerity has has been happening for a lot of people for a very long time and there's really entrenched poverty across the UK in different places. I think that because we don't see it, it's a bit like the classic kind of walking past somebody who's homeless in the street and you don't engage with it. And it's easy not to engage with it if, if your work doesn't bring you into that arena. Then, um, it um, yeah, it just coexists quite happily or unhappily with other people's everyday life. Um, but I think what it looks like, particularly in Totnes, is um, that people are really reliant on part-time work, on zero-hours contracts and, you know, that unusual but, um, seasonal work because a lot of the work is out in agriculture or in the, the tourist sector. And um, so in-work benefits are probably quite a, a large scale of people's income. And also um, the housing stock isn't great. So when we did the economic blueprint, we did some research for that about what, what, the, standard of, uh, what the standard of housing was using the... Um, Home, thermal homes comfort um, statistics and it showed that actually it was staggeringly um, low quality housing that there wasn't very much insulation people were living in very cold houses there's a lot of off gas people live in the villages and, and sort of the outer areas of Totnes so they're spending more money on energy than, than other people and also um, payment meters are just a, a classic thing for people who haven't got very much money that they pay a lot more for their energy full stop even if they're on mains electricity. Because the perception from outside is often that Totnes is a relatively, <coughs> sort of is, is doing all right for itself really. And uh, you know, so to what extent does, is, is, it, is it sort of that image of, of Totnes kind of misleading and possibly even kind of dangerous in terms of masking that? Mm, I think... Yeah, it is. It is misleading, and it and it it becomes it becomes dangerous um, when people think that everything's okay. And partly because it's like um something that um, somebody talked to me about a long time ago about rural communities, affluent rural communities. When I was working in the home counties, it's that, that it's double deprivation. So if you haven't got very much money and you live in a big city where lots of other people don't have very much money, you've got access to cheap stuff whether or not that's the stuff that you know we, it would be you know want people to have in an ideal world but you know cheap supermarkets um and cheap um goods and also there's more people to kind of trade with so if you're trading kind of your your skills or you're kind of bartering there's more people to do that with whereas in a, a, a town like um Totnes um, there's less people like that. So you haven't got the economies of scale to make it worthwhile for a, a, a low-cost supermarket to come or cheaper shops. So you end up with very high-end shops where you can't afford the things or you perceive that you can't afford them because you, um, you know, particularly around local food and things because of perceptions about seasonality and, and it being a sort of a middle-class thing. And so people end up um, being kind of doubly deprived and also, psychologically, living alongside such affluence, when you've got people who live here who, you know, who've sold houses and been able to buy them and, and do them up, that kind of slight gentrification of areas. 
and the perennial thing that Totnes has always had of second homeowners and, and older people, affluent people retiring here, then psychologically that's really quite damaging. Mm. So how has what, what, how, how the work of TTT sought to address that? What are some, some of the ways in which, in which that's happening? Um, I think it's, it's happening in lots of really subtle ways. And um, it's kind of building on the trust and goodwill of kind of work that, that's gone before and the networks that we're building. So um, our food work principally started the strongest group um, of Transition Town Totnes. And it, it principally started because people wanted to grow more of their own food, so the Garden Share Project and um, and the allotments, you know, the allotments um, became more... But since then, it's formed a real network of people. And we recently held an event called Food for the Future. And part of that discussion was about crop caps and what crops we could grow more locally that might have grown here before and don't anymore. But there was a full representation of everybody from the whole kind of cycle of food. So from people who grow the food right through to um, what we do with that surplus food and what we do with the compost or we do with, you know, to create the compost to then go back into the soil to create the circle again. There was a real willingness there. There were people there who work at the drop-in centre for mm-hmm. the homeless, who um, give out hot meals to people who are homeless. There's uh, Food in Community, which is a really fantastic, um, relatively new enterprise. We work with Riverford, taking their surplus vegetables and distributing them to community projects, people who work with people with mental health problems and the local children's centre and schools and things. Um... So the conversation, the interest that was there, you know, Riverford were there as well and and some of the restaurants and the cafes. And the conversations there weren't just about how can we grow the local food economy, they were about how can we enable that local food economy to also help people who haven't got enough to eat. And one of the things that seems like um, TTT is doing a lot at the moment is what what some people call the power to convene you know you, that actually tdt has a has a um the reputation you talked of before you know it has the ability to get people in a room and you did that recently with a, an event about health could you tell us a bit more about that yeah yeah um that was i think a real tribute actually to the the trust and goodwill that tom that tdt's kind of built up over the last six seven years since we started but basically one of the um, strands of the blueprint was looking at health and care and how important that is for resilience of a place that people need to stay well they need to stay personally resilient but also you know healthy and and we need to acknowledge how much we need to care for each other and, and get back to a situation where people are looking out for for each other kind of more really but it was also about how existing resources that go into health and care from the public sector are very much, over the years, have very much been kind of one-size-fits-all. So, oh, you're old, so you have a day centre. Oh, you're a learning disabled adult, you can have the same day centre. And um, and kind of, you know, those sort of ideas that, that that's enough for people, that you're providing some care. And, and what... Um, we wanted to do was get people together in a room and say if if you looked at a place and you said what would it look like if it was at its most caring 
And so we, we put the um, put an invitation out, and so we invited voluntary groups from the town who were involved in kind of well-being, broader well-being, health and care. And we invited people from the public sector who were also involved in that kind of work, so people who worked in mental health, but also people working in the fire service, the police, and uh, drug and alcohol workers. So, you know, work in homelessness support um, and with older people, general social care. And what happened when we put them all in, a, because lots of people responded to that question, you know, what would you carry in town? Like? They obviously really wanted to have that conversation. And what happened when we sort of gave them permission, if you like, we, we convened them in the first place, which was lovely to be able to do that. Um, but then being given permission to kind of just imagine what it would be like if their service as a public, you know, public sector professional could be delivered in a different way that was place-based and crossed over other people's services. So people weren't delivering in silos and the, the voluntary sector was working with the public sector and then the community beneath that were kind of, you know, looking at, out for each other. It was just joyous. I mean, there was a real palpable sense that um, that it was a way that people wanted to work in the future. And at the end of it, I think there were about 50 people there and 95% of them signed up to be part of the next steps to kind of look at how that might manifest. And what's your sense of the... One of the tensions that austerity throws up is that it's about cutting back on public spending and then hoping that the public, the private sector will pick up on any of the profitable bits and that communities will somehow sort of come together and pick up all the leftover bits uh, in any spare time they have beyond doing anything else. Mm. And that sort of seems to, seems to be the model. But what's your sense of, 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 from what you get a taste of from here or what you're thinking is kind of going into the future... You know, is 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 that the best way to do it? What's the what? You know, should 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 we not be picking up these things politically because that's what the public sector should be doing, even if it's not? Or should community groups be picking it up, and and and, and how best to do that? Yeah, that's such a big question, and it's something that it's the biggest thing that troubles me. Um, that you're almost kind of enabling complicit. Yeah, yeah, complicit's a good word, and I've really. I have, yeah, morally struggled with it. And I think where I am at the moment with it personally is that, yes, it is enabling to an extent, but if you can um, do it in a way that is, um, that's quite clever, then you might be able to change the, um, the ideas of the public sector about how they commission, whether they actually do always commission from the private sector. And the other thing that drives me to do it is that there are some people out there who are desperately vulnerable and we have to help. So, mm. you know, if we're the, the, the people that can assist with that, then we kind of have a, a responsibility. But it is a, it's a massive tension. This is before I started working at TTT. Uh, my work was um, working with the public sector and trying to look at how social enterprise could scale up community enterprise and then voluntary activity on the ground could be... Um, a really the, the right solution to delivering public service, you know, services to meet the needs of people. So, not having this one size fits all, but having a sort of a, a real kind of needs base. What actually do people need in a place? And unfortunately, it hasn't. 
it was like it was too early. That work was happening really well, and you know, Social Enterprise Coalition and loads of other pe- good people, Development Trust Association, doing some really great work around how that could be enabled. But the austerity stuff came in too soon for local authorities to be won over to that, and so they still commission large contracts. Um, to big companies based on a kind of silo-based way of working, so care homes for old people, you know, children's services, you know, under fives and like this. They don't look at it in a holistic kind of way. Um, so I do think there's a real opportunity. In some ways, this is really it is exciting. Like I'm talking about the people in the room at the health and care event because they've probably been thinking the same. They'd obviously been thinking the same thing. What would it look like if it actually was meeting people's needs and it was holistic and it was place-based? Um, so in that way, it's really, really exciting. So it, th- that is enough to make me think there's a, there's some there's a chance there to just try and win some hearts and minds over from that big scale being done to contracting out stuff. One of the things that's that's unique about TTT is is that it has the role that you occupy. You know that role of a sort of project manager sitting in the centres avoiding that kind of donut effect that we see in other places where all the energy rushes to outside to the projects you don't have anybody holding the centre and linking it all together what's your sense from having done that role for nearly three years now about the value that it brings I was going to say it's invaluable but I would say that wouldn't I <laughs> um, but actually it, it is kind of invaluable um, because people need to feel held. So there are some people doing in- incredible work in Totnes within transition and, and the broader kind of... And what, um, and what they need, I think, is, is to be able to know that the centre's being held, that there is, the, there is some, some body or um, some people who kind of hold the... the this kind of narrative, and that all the time they're kind of spinning this work into the narrative, and so that when um, when we're talking about the work of transition, we're, we're celebrating what people are doing. So what they're doing isn't just for their own, um, you know, kind of, um, you know, for the, the goodness of, of what they're doing, which is enough actually. But to be able to say, look, and it's part of this greater whole, and this mm. is how it fits together, and this is why it's so important. Um, the work that we're doing, then I think I think that's essential, really. And what did the economic blueprint highlight or um, reveal that is so important in in actually designing meaningful responses to austerity? Do you think? I think the blueprint and the associated work that we've done around economy has shown that. That I think it's a term you used actually, Robert. It was about inward investment rather than internal investment, and I really like that. The whole kind of our our whole society is geared towards big scale solutions to everything, instead of um, those kind of interactions that you have every day that actually build something more beautiful. And so the blueprint for me to be able to show in it that. Actually, these big employers that came before, um, that have gone, they were never actually the big employers. It was this network of small businesses that, you know, I think it was something like 70% family-owned, um, sort of 80%, you know, small businesses, something like, you know, 10 or under employees. 
it was showing that it was those businesses that inter interact every day and, and build community and circulate money locally and provide kind of the infrastructure that communities really need rather than somebody coming in, building a factory, employing some people um, and then probably pulling out a few years later and, and ripping out, you know, some of the fabric. And if we, if we, it seems to be, you know, David Cameron's talked about uh, us now being in a time of permanent austerity and it looks like a, an incoming Labour government would uphold most of the cuts that are already in place. Um, from the seven years of transition here and your your sense of it and the learnings from what's happened here, what what more general lessons do you think Totnes can 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 offer to to other communities up and down the country being faced by austerity? See, there's something about Totnes being quite particular that is true. But then I look at other places, um, so Bradford, where I'm from, and and people. I, I remember I was at a conference in Leeds, which is nearby, and some I was talking about the food work that we've been doing here, and somebody would say, "Well, it's all right, you know. Of course, you can do it in Totnes, but you know, what about places like Bradford and Leeds?" And and actually, access to land is easier in places like that. There's more land, there's more unused land that could be appropriated. And there's um, there's more of a, I think, more of a, a history of self-organising in those places. Mm-hmm. That, um, that if you could kind of revive that again, um, which is happening, I mean, I, I know that that's happening with, uh, with other organisations and within transition, that the things that we can kind of model here because it's uniquely geographically like it is and because it's surrounded by, you know, a lot of um, growing land and, and you know, traditionally agricultural and, and all the different reasons why Totnes is like it is. If we can model it here and then parts of, bits of that are done elsewhere, then that's, I'd be happy with that. What I wouldn't be happy with is if we're doing everything that we do here and it didn't inspire people elsewhere to be self-organising and all that happened was that the government said, well, they can do it in Totnes, so why can't you do it everywhere else? I think we really have to guard against that and think about how we pull together and I think that's about working not just with our colleagues in transition but ones who are in the cooperative movement and in community land trusts and um, and in development trusts. So the, the, those are the models and if we can, and social enterprise movement, if we can pull together then we've got a really strong voice. And at the beginning, TTT was very much framed as being a response to peak oil and climate change. Would you say that it's now equally a response to austerity as well? Where does it sit there in terms of being a driver for TTT these days? Um, I almost think the thing about peak oil and climate change, um, it was a it was a kind of a, a consequence of the the economy that we've managed, the world we've managed to construct because we had cheap fossil fuels and we've been enabled to construct this economy gone completely insane, this kind of capitalist economy, a free market economy. And um, and so it's kind of, it, it's part of the broader picture of just sort of, is it a, it's a response to living well, 
really, mm. to, to being resilient. But we want everybody to be resilient. It's not that it's not like this is our place and we're going to be resilient and forget about you. It's a, it's about what are the things that are important to people. What do we need and and what are in, what's important. And increasingly, that's what everybody is kind of talking about. It's like transition. I think transition was there first, and then. Um, and everybody now is talking about um, energy as well and, and sort of climate change and, and the impacts of climate change because it's happening now. Mm. Well, it was happening before, but it's more overtly happening. People are acknowledging it more. And so um, I suppose you don't need to talk about that, you, but you can talk about how we've, we've gone too far with this excess of everything, which was kind of fuelled by that fuel. And, um, and so it's a, it's a symptom 